Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to uh, look at these different aspects of God's love so that so that we can live a life that reflects his love in a lost and dying world. Would you agree that our world needs to see God's love? Would you be in agreement with that? I, I, think, uh, I think you would be in agreement with that. And so um, over the next uh, several weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of God's love. For example, we're going to look at uh, how do we love those who aren't like us? Let me give you an example. How do Republicans love Democrats? How do Democrats love Republicans? How do, how do Georgia Bulldogs and Florida Gators coexist? How does that work? What does that really look like? How do we, how do we really love the unlovable? On June 27th, which is the day that we kick off our vacation Bible school, we're going to look at what does it really mean to love the little children? Do we as believers in Christ, do, do we have a responsibility for those who are much younger than us and for that generation to come? What does loving the little children, uh, what does that really look like? And so um, I, I'm really excited about this series, and, and I'll be honest with you, as I've been preparing for it, the Lord has been... Um, have you ever had the Lord just kind of tear you apart? Have you ever had that happen? Well, he's been doing that to me regarding this topic of, of love. What does it really mean to love like Jesus? And so um, each week as we go through this series, um, it's, it's my goal that I will uh, share with you something that I love or something that, that you love and uh, just as a way to get us thinking about this concept of love. And so today, as we begin this series, I want to tell you um, that I I love doctors and medicine. Now you'd be going, Pastor, what are you talking about? Some of you may know this, some of you do not, but this past Wednesday, um, I woke up thinking it is going to be a normal day. But I woke up and I noticed some pain in my lower back. Yes, I just did turn 45, but I didn't think that was the problem. I thought, you know what, self, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Nothing's going to hold me down. So I got dressed, had some breakfast, had my quiet time, and I went on to work because ain't no pain going to slow me down. Well, I get 41, and I start driving to, the, to, to work. Halfway there, it was like somebody took a sharp knife and put it in, the back, in, in my back. Right then, I knew exactly what was going on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The dreaded kidney stones. So on Wednesday, um, I was attacked. I was attacked. So I immediately, I turned back around. I went home, and for the next several hours, I was crawling on the ground, rolling on the ground, rolling on the bed, moaning and moaning and groaning. And I'll be honest with you, I cried like a girl. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, that is not politically correct. So I want to say, to be politically correct, girls, it is perfectly okay for you to cry like a boy. Okay, I just want to let you know. It's perfect, but I cried. I hurt, and my wife was awesome. She laughed at me for about three hours, and uh, <laughs> she didn't. She didn't. She did not, but she, 
She made sure that I was okay, but I spent the next day um, at the doctor's office and just trying to just trying to ease the pain. I was at the doctor's office the next day, and uh, finally the doctor gave me some med- medication, and the pain went away. It felt so good. And so today I stand before you to say, I love doctors and I love medicine. <laughs> Um, noted American psychiatrist Carl Augustus Minniger once said this, said, love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. He said, love cures. He said, it cures those who give it and it cures those who receive it. A recent headline from a study said this, love is just what the doctor ordered. Well, in this series, over the next several weeks, it is my goal that we would come to a biblical understanding and and a biblical living out the idea that love changes everything. That love changes everything. And so, as we begin this series, when I begin any series, and I hope you you see this and understand this in, in my preaching, that when I begin a new series, I always always have to ask the question: Why do we? Why are we doing this series? Why why do a series on love? Why why do that in the summer? Why do that in the year twenty twenty one? Why why are we doing this series now? Why did the Lord put this on my heart several, several months ago to do this series? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons, and, and this morning is going to be c- kind of an overview of what's going to take place over the rest of this, uh, this summer, but, but here's a couple of reasons why we're doing this series now, and I want you to write this down. Number one, why we're doing this series is because of this, and I think you'd all be in agreement. We are living in an age of rage, amen? We, we are living in an age of of hate. I mean, hate is rising. And it's not just rising amongst um, those who don't believe like us or those who are completely different than us. I mean, what we see, there's even some hatred and some anger rising amongst own Christians. Would you be in agreement with that? I mean, there is some things going on in our world where, I mean, there's just hatred and anger that is, that is going on. And we, we hear this phrase uh, so often in our culture that we're living in this, what's called a cancel culture. And I'm in agreement with that and, 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 and because it goes like this, that, that if you don't agree with me, I don't care who you are, what you look like, but if you don't agree with me, then I'm just going to get rid of you as a, in any type of relationship. If, if you don't agree like I agree, then, then we cannot be in a relationship. We won't, on, on social media, we'll unfriend you. We won't like anything that you, that you post. And, and as a matter of fact, we'll actually go opposite. We will, we will, we will go against you. We will say things against you. And, 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 and gosh, you, you know this. And I think I talk a lot about this at church, in church because I just want you to see that we don't need to be like this. But, but when... when it seems we're in a world today that, that if you have a disagreement with somebody or, or somebody does something wrong, we're living in an age where you can't keep that to yourself. Are you with me? So for whatever reason, in our selfish thinking, we think it is right and it is good to put our anger or frustration with you out on social media so everybody can be a part of that. Are you with me? And I don't understand that. I don't get 
that, but, but we see this on and on and on that, that, if, that if you have a beef against me, man, I'm just going to put it out in the public so that everybody can be against you. I mean, we're living in an age of rage. Uh, we're living in an age of hate. But as believers, we have to begin to ask ourselves this question, what's really going on? Why is this happening? Here's the great thing about studying the Bible, is that God's Word tells us exactly what's happening. God actually says, Jesus himself actually says, don't be surprised when certain things begin to take place. And one of the things that Jesus says, and I want you to look at Matthew chapter 24, going to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Um, One of the things that Jesus actually says in the end times, you need to understand that there is going to be hatred. Hatred is going to increase. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Um, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Um, He's he's speaking um, on the end times. What are are the signs of the end times? And I want you to, let's just walk through this um, and and show you that that Jesus actually says that near the end times, you are going to be living in an age of rage. So what we're experiencing is, This is not outside of God's control, and God is not oblivious to this, and God is not surprised that this is going on. As a matter of fact, this is all going according to God's plan. This is all within his sovereign plan that we live in this age of rage. Pick up in verse number three, Matthew chapter 24, follow along on on your copy of God's Word. Follow on the screen behind me. One, One note. Typically, on Sunday mornings, if, if you're here, you use the Version Bible app, and you can look at the live event. Um, because I had the kidney stone, I was not able to put that on the live event. I just want to let you know. Thank you for understanding. Thank you. I appreciate that. But look at verse number three, and, and the disciples are saying, Jesus, what, what will be the sign of your coming? He's sitting at the Mount of Olives. They're talking to him privately, and they ask, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the end of the age? Look at verse number four. And Jesus said to them, now watch this. Jesus said in verse number four, he said, see to it that no one misleads you. See to it that no one misleads you. Now, I want you to look at that word mislead. In Greek, that is the Greek word planao. Everybody say planao. You're Greek scholars. There you go. Planao is where we get our English word planet. And so what do planets do? Planets do not stand still, right? Planets move. They rotate. They're never in the same place in the sky. And so when Jesus says, do not, let, do not be misled, he's using the Greek word planao, and it means this, do not let people move you around. Do not be a wanderer. Do, do not change positions, do not move from one to another. And, 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 and in Jesus' day, they use, they, they use this term planao as, as a word of, of, of deception. Do not be deceived. And so what Jesus is saying here, I think this is important for us who are living in an age of rage and why we're looking at love, which we're going to get to that in just a few moments. But, but Jesus says in the end times, believers, do not be deceived. Do not be a wanderer. Meaning, do not move away from the truth. That's what he's saying. He says, there are going to be many who want to mislead you, and they want to push you away from the truth. Jesus says, there is a standard. There is something that never moves. There's something that never planaos. There's something that never wonders, and that is the truth. Because here's something we need to know. Students, you need to understand this. There is an objective truth. 
An objective truth means this, it's without, outside of our feelings. It's outside of our feelings. And Jesus says there's an objective truth. And he says don't be misled because if you are deceived and you do not believe in objective truth and you believe that truth is subjective, which means you make up your own truth and you are a wanderer, it means you have nothing to stand upon. Are you with me this morning? Nobody's with me this morning? I mean, there is an objective standard of truth. I mean, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the very first temptation. When Satan tempts Adam and Eve, he tempts mankind, what does he tempt them with? He tempts them with the truthfulness of God, the standard. Did God really say? Are you with me? Did God really say? Did God really say that there is objective truth? And listen. We are living in an age of rage because the age has rejected an objective truth. And today, truth is subjective, which means you get to make up your own truth. Uh, this past week, I read a headline that said this, it is a fact, you can choose your identity. The last part of that statement doesn't bother me, the first part does. It is a fact. Well, here's my question. Who said it was a fact? You can only make that a fact if you have subjective truth. And subjective truth never stands still. It always moves, and you're always trying to catch up to it because subjective truth means that you're using your emotions, you're using your flesh to determine what is right. And Jesus says, in the end, in an age of rage, he says, do not be misled. Students, don't be misled. Parents, don't be misled so that you don't mislead your students. There's an objective truth, you stand firm. Look at verse number seven. Verse number seven, Jesus says, for nation will rise against nation. Do we hear about that today? Absolutely. And kingdom against kingdom? Absolutely. Various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. Verse number nine, and then they will deliver you, disciples, to tribulation, and they will kill you, and you will be, what's that word? Hated. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Look at verse 10. And at that time, in the end, in the age of, the ra in the age of rage, at that time, many will fall away. Now, that Greek word for fall away is skandalizo, which in, in English we get our words scandal or scandalize. And so Jesus says, at that time, many will fall away. Which means this, that people, in this age of rage, people will purposely put stumbling blocks in front of you to cause you to stumble. I think out beside verse number 10 in Matthew chapter 24 or verse 9, you could put, you could probably put a rainbow colored flag out beside that verse. Are you with me? Are you awake this morning? A rainbow-colored flag, do I need to explain that? Have we been hit with that this month? Absolutely we have. And so many people, believers, many believers, this can be a stumbling block. And Jesus says, in the end, times do not be misled. 
Do not be scandalized, but rather you stand firm. Verse number 10. Verse number 10, he says this, and at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and they will hate one another. Verse number 12, here's what happens in the end. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Do you see that happening today? Yeah. People's love is growing cold. As I've been preparing for this message or this series, um, I've come under major conviction um, that, that my love has grown cold. Um, and I'll, I'll give you the perfect example. Um, this happened this past week when my loving wife was driving me from hospital visits to doctor's offices. I was struggling, right? I was hurting. My wife is being gracious, kind, and gentle. We pull into the, we pull into the hospital, and um, I don't, I don't want to my wife did not park straight in the parking space. <laughs> is, is that fair? That's fair. Okay, good. I didn't ask her for permission to tell this story. Can I tell this story? Can I tell Thumbs up. So, so there's a car here, there's a car here, and I mean, sometimes it's hard Ladies, it's just hard to make a straight part. I get it. I get it. Men, are you with me? Men, are you with me? Hey, we're talking about love this week. So, there's this car, and, and she pulls, she pulls in. We were in a hurry. I was hurting. She, we were in a hurry, and, and so... Not like this, but like, like, like this, like this. And there's a car next to us, and we're talking to the insurance. Ins- you know how the insurance makes sure everything works. Well, we're just sitting there. I'm like, oh, man, I'm hurting. We got to get going somewhere. And all of a sudden, we don't see this, but there's a knock on the driver's side window. And there's some dude. Right? right? Passenger side. Yeah, passenger side on my side, right here scared me. <laughs> if, if you're that dude, you looked homeless. I'm just going to let you know, you looked homeless. He, no- he knocks on the window, and I look at him, and lovingly, I said, what, what do you want? No? No. What do you want? I would like to get in my car door or open my car door. So lovingly, did I roll the window down or open up my door? You were looking the other way. I don't know. I, I believe I opened my door to see how much space he had to get into his car. I said, you got room? (laughs) Angela pulled out. We straightened it up. And uh, 
we spent the next couple of minutes just bemoaning this fact that this guy knocked on the right. And then the Lord said, hey, pastor. What are you preaching on Sunday? I said, Lord, I have a kidney stone. He said, I don't care. Yeah. Most people's love will grow cold. One commentary said this about people's love growing cold in in the end of the age. It said this, one of the consequences of abandoning God's principles is the hardening and deadening of people's love for one another. Went on to say, the deadening of people's love for other people manifests itself in three ways. The devaluing of life. a greater focus on one's own pleasure and protection, a decrease in sensitivity to the needs of others. Wow. In the end, people's love will grow cold. Do you see why we're doing this series now? Do you see? Why we believers need this series? Second reason why we're doing this series is this. The world will know that we are Christians by our love. We live in an age of rage, but the second reason we're doing this is because, and we'll find this out in our scripture, that the world will know that we are Christians by our love. According to John chapter 13, we're going to get that in just a second, According to John 17, uh, the world looks at believers and they look at how we love one another. The world is watching how we love. In the late 60s, uh, a Catholic priest by the name of Peter Schultz wrote a song, wrote a hymn titled, They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love. Anybody know that song? Three of you. says, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians Yeah, sing that song with a kidney stone. (laughs) When, when, When Peter Schultz, the Catholic priest who wrote 
that song, in his mind, it was a reminder that, that love is the medicine for a sick, sick world. Love is the medicine. Let me share with you three things about love. If love is the medicine, then what does this love look like? What does the Bible say about us as we love? I want you to write this down. We're going to go through some, some scriptures really quick, and we'll get to John 13. Number one, I want you to write this down. The Bible says that we believers, we are to pursue love. We're to pursue love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you, you can turn your Bibles there, but in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's known as the love chapter, and Paul writes this beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, several verses of, of what love is. And in verse number 13, he says this, but now faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love, agape, godly love. And in verse number one of chapter 14, he then writes these words, pursue love. If faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love, he then says, you believer, you church, you pursue love. Another translation says, let love be your greatest aim. I like that. Let love be your greatest aim. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, which is going through some difficulties, and Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, you pursue love. You follow hard after love. And that's what the Greek word means when it means to pursue. It means to press hard after. It means to chase. And, and it literally means, it means, it was used in, in, in Paul's time as, as chasing down a criminal. You pursue them. Our family over the past several weeks, months, we have been hooked on watching the TV show, How to Catch a Smuggler. It is awesome. It's a story of Homeland Security and, and Border Patrol and how they are pursuing individuals who are bringing illegal items into the United States. And, and we watch it. Who knows if it's really true or not? I'm sure they ham some things up, but, but we're in it. And we watch them, and we watch the Border Patrol, we watch Homeland Security, we watch them, we watch them pursue these individuals, right? And Paul says, we are to pursue love. We are to press hard after. That you and I as believers in Christ, we're to go hard after love. We are to make it our greatest aim. We are to pursue agape love, which is godly love. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to pursue status. I don't want you to pursue success. I don't want you to pursue uh, possessions or power or privilege. I don't want you to pursue comfort. I don't want you to pursue money. What I want you to do as a believer in Christ is I want you to pursue love, agape, godly love. If faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love, then pursue it. Go hard after it. You believer, you go hard after love. Make love your highest aim of your life. Now we're talking about, we're not talking about uh, 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 loving whatever, we're talking about agape, godly love. Love that lines up with scripture, you go hard after it. You make love your aim. 
Y'all remember the story when a, when a teacher of the law came to Jesus? Do y'all remember this? And the teacher of the law said, Jesus, what's, what's the greatest purpose in life? What's, what's the greatest commandment? Y'all remember this story? This teacher of the law says he's trying to actually, he's actually trying to trick Jesus, trying to catch him in a trap. He says, Jesus, he says, Jesus, t- tell me, what is, what's the greatest thing to do in life? What is, what is the greatest, what is the greatest purpose? Can you tell me? And Jesus is like, oh yeah, I got this. I can tell you what the greatest thing is. And in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus gives what you and I call now the great commandment. And Jesus says to this teacher, he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he says in verse 39, and the second one is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus answers the question, what's the greatest thing? What's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing to do in life? Jesus boils down the entire Bible into two things. You love God with everything, and then you love others as you love yourself. And in essence, Jesus is saying to the teacher, if you do those things, then you will do the greatest thing in life. And you need to make that your goal. You need to make that your aim, that you love God with everything that you have, your mind, your body, your soul, everything, but then you love your neighbor as yourself. And that's just Jesus is saying, nothing else matters but love. You love God and you love others. And so the Bible teaches us, in an age of rage, we still pursue love. We don't respond as the world does. We respond because Jesus, his word, which is truth, the standard, the objective, has says, you, you go hard after love. Number two, the next thing the Bible says about love is this. The Bible says that everything we do is to be done in love. Uh-oh. Everything we do is to be done in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, Paul says this, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Another translation says, everything you do must be done in love. What does everything mean? Everything. Everything is to be done in love. So does that mean when you write an email, You tweet, you post something, does that mean that that should be done in love? Yeah. I think a lot of people would do well to memorize 1 Corinthians 16, 14, or put it on a yellow yellow post-it note, put it on your computer, or put it on your phone, and before you type out anything, before you send anything, read that. Let everything be done in love. Does that mean that when you go to a fast food restaurant and they're closed because nobody wants to work? And so in turn, you have to go eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken? Does that mean that that is to be done in love? Yeah. That's tough. It's frustrating 
When we see businesses that have been established and been working hard and nobody wants to work, it has been difficult to hold our anger. Amen? Yeah, nobody wants to say amen to that because you've all been there and your pastor too. How dare they? I can't believe that. Chris, listen, let everything be done in love. No, Lord, I don't think you understand. They're not working. They need to work. You told them to work. Chris, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. Don't go drive away, peeling out, and go to another restaurant, bemoaning what's going on. Are you with me? See, we can't control what other people do, but you can control what? What you do. You will stand before the Lord for your actions, not that person's actions. Paul says, let everything be done in love. Does that include being nice to people who vote differently than you? Nope. (laughs) Of course. Of course it does. Of course it does. Paul says, and this is the authoritative word of God that we as believers, we stand upon. And we don't move like the planets move. We're not misled, but Paul says, God through Paul says, you do everything in love. Agape love. Godly love. He says, you pursue love with everything that you've got. And you do everything in love. And then number three, the mark of a Christian is love for one another. Go to John 13, where I told you to go to at the very beginning of this message. John 13. In John chapter 13, this is known from chapter 13 through 17, it's known as as Jesus' farewell discourse. What does that mean? It means from chapters 13 through 17, Jesus is going to give a very lengthy monologue. If you have a Bible with the red letters, you'll see what? It's all what? It's all red letters. Jesus is speaking here. This is his farewell discourse, meaning when he's done speaking, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be tried, he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, third day he's going to rise again, and soon he's going to enter up into heaven, ascend up into heaven. So in chapter 13, beginning, this is, this is his farewell discourse. These are, these are, you can say these are Jesus' last words. And in this chapter, I want you to get this picture. In John 13, it begins with Jesus, it begins with Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. We had that last week. But he's instituting the Lord's Supper, and then he's going to wash the disciples' feet. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that he takes off, he lays aside his garments and he takes the towel. Get that picture. He washes their feet. After he washes his feet, he then says this, which shocks the disciples. He says, there's one of you amongst us who's going to betray me. And then he looks at Judas. He says, what you do, go do it quickly. The emotion that's in that room. Judas leaves. Then verse number 33, Jesus says something that's not recorded any other time in Scripture. 
He now speaks to the disciples and he says to them, little children. He brings them in. And verse number 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You can heard a pin drop. Jesus has washed their feet. They, they don't know how to take that. One of their very own has, has left. They don't understand that. Jesus says, now it's his time to be glorified, and they're sitting there going, what? You could hear a pin drop. And then Jesus very tenderly says, little children, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Scholars call this the 11th commandment. You remember the Ten Commandments from Exodus and Deuteronomy? The Ten Commandments are typically a kind of a negative commandment. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, here in verse 34, it is, the 11th commandment is in a positive nature. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, not only is it positive, they would be thinking negative, but now it's in the positive, and now Jesus says, I, I want to show you how that's done. I'm telling you a new commandment that you're to love one another. Now I want to show you what loving one another really looks like when, when he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Even as I have loved you, here's a new commandment. You love one another. Well, how do I do that, Jesus? Do you ever wrestle with that? God, I get it. You want me to love somebody? Lord, you, you want me to love that, that what I thought was a homeless guy knocking on my window? You want me to love him? Jesus, you don't understand. He came into my space. No, you came into his space. How do I do that? How, how do I do that, Jesus? How do I love those who, who aren't like me, who don't look like me, who think differently than I do? Who, who, how do I love those whom I don't want to be with? How, how do I love those who, Lord, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't get it, Jesus. How do I do that? And I love Jesus, he says. Do it as I've done it to you. A new commandment I give to you, love one another, even as I have loved you. Now picture that for a moment. What does that look like? How did Jesus love you? In chapter 13 only, in verse number one, chapter 13, Jesus, it says this, that Jesus loved the disciples to the very end. Meaning this, Jesus has always loved you and he always will love you. Jesus will never stop loving you. Think about that. He will never stop loving you. Verses 4 through 15, Jesus laid aside his garments and he, and, he, and he puts the towel around him and he takes the form of a servant. Now, how did Jesus love the disciples? He, he loved them always and then he took the form of a servant. He loved them. He didn't lord it over them. He didn't say, oh, follow me. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet at the end in, in verse 15, 16, 17, around there, uh, Jesus says, uh, do you understand what I've done for you? And he says this, just as I have washed your feet, now, humanly 
thinking, you would say, Jesus would say, since I've washed your feet, now you wash my feet. That's kind of how we think, right? I scratch your back, and then you do what? You scratch mine. But Jesus does not say, hey, I washed your feet, now you wash my feet. He doesn't say that. He says, I washed your feet, now you go wash others' feet. Do you see it? I mean, do you see it? In verses 21 through 33, Judas betrays Jesus. And here's what I love about Jesus. He eats with the guy who is going to betray him. Jesus loved Judas. Meaning, Jesus shows us how to love people even when they don't love us back. Hello. Are you with me? He shows us how to love others who do not love us back. And so he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, here's how we're going to close. Why is that commandment so important? Look at verse 35, okay? You still with me? Can you hang on for another 35 minutes? It'll be good. Why is this important? Jesus says, by this. What? By what? Love for one another, right? By this, all men. It's the Greek word pause, which literally means everybody, everyone. It means the whole world. By this, the whole world will know. In Greek, when you parse out the, the verb will know, it's, it's future indicative. The indicative mood means this in the Greek language. It means it is a statement of fact. You get it? So by this, our love for one another, all men in the world will know. It's a fact. It is a statement of fact. By this, all men will know what? That you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. Wow. Hmm. Do y'all remember the great theologian Tina Turner? <laughs> Come on, y'all know her. Y'all know her. In 1985, she had the number one hit solo. What's love got to do with it? Remember that? You're going to Google it later, I know. What's love got to do with it? According to Jesus, love has everything to do with everything. The mark of a true believer is love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciple if, if, it's conditional, if you will love one another. So what this means is this, is that somehow, some way, in God's sovereignty, he has given the world authority to judge us as believers in Jesus Christ. Do you see that in our text? 
Do you see that? The world has been given authority by King Jesus to judge us according to our love. It's a sobering fact, isn't it? So think about this for just a moment. If you, if you were to stand before the world, it's just you and the world, nobody, it's you, you're on the stage, and the world is judging you. And they're judging you according to your love. Would they say that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let's take that one step further. If we as a church, First Baptist Church, Brunswick, the body, if we were on trial, if we, the church, are being judged by the world. Would Brunswick know that we are Christians by our love? Hmm. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Father, may may we obey your command to love one another. Hey God, I stand before you in my own personal life and say, Lord, I, I need help. My love has grown cold in some areas and I need that to be broken. I need that to be warmed in my own life. God, I need you. Father, our church needs you. Father, I pray that that we'd be known by our love. Yes, we stand for truth. We're unashamed about the truth. Your word, your standard never changes. We're all in on that, Father, but may we communicate that in a way of love that to a dying world, we are beautiful. May we be beautiful, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.